Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which helps entrepreneurs generate more impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a smart connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. This podcast is sponsored by Virtual Non-Execs, the world's number one peer-to-peer board advisor community, which connects thousands of investors, entrepreneurs and advisors globally. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. It's great to see you here. And I have a wonderful guest for you tonight, David Thompson. Welcome, David. Great to talk to you and great to meet you all. Yeah. So David is a keynote speaker, a passionate educator and a founder of Sweda, which is a social learning sales platform. And David grew up disadvantaged and from quite a troubled family, which we're going to talk about. And he was placed in a children's home due to these difficulties, but then went on to build a hugely successful and inspirational career, which included building and selling a financial services business for many millions of pounds. So it's such a privilege to have you here, David. And then David is also one of the very few people in the world who's actually certified by the world's leading social psychologist and expert on the topic of influence, Robert Cialdini, to teach on the topics of persuasion and persuasion. So we're going to be talking about that too tonight. So yeah, let's get into it. Great to have you here, David. Great to be here. So, David, let's start at the beginning because you do have a very interesting story. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show. So tell us about your early life. So I guess growing up, so I was born in 1969. So the year they said, take one small step for mankind. And, you know, Neil Armstrong stood on the moon. That was the year that I was born. And I'm half Jamaican and half Scottish. So my mother came down to Nottingham and then she took me back to Scotland with her. And so oh. and when, when, she, when, we were, when she went back to Scotland in 1968 then, but 69, I was the only coloured kid in the village, in this little mining village in the west coast of Scotland, which was called New Cunlock. So it was, it was different. <laughs> it was different. You know, the, the, the years were like the early 70s. Racism was rife and it was tough. So I grew up. You know, to be like quite tough I guess like most kids did you know you, you had to have thick skin back then so I grew up with thick skin and my mother unfortunately she shacked up with this little Scottish guy called Jimmy right and he was your Jimmy. Jimmy yeah another, a real Scottish name there yeah Jimmy Moffat he was five foot tall but unfortunately he was he, he was he wasn't the nicest of fellows so you know he let me know that I was different every weekend when he used to go out and you know he liked to drink in fact, he liked to drink a lot if there'd been a drinking championship he'd have probably won it and uh, unfortunately you know it wasn't the most the, the, the best upbringing uh, but from from my perspective um, we moved a lot so we moved by the time I was 10 we'd lived in nine different houses and I've been to five different schools and you know, so I, I got to make friends. I can make friends really easily. So there's a benefit to every adversity. So some of the times we moved, sometimes we didn't. But yeah, so growing up, it was tough. Um, my father wasn't the best, and obviously that was reflected in the fact what you said at the start. I was in a children's home for a while, which you know isn't the pleasantest of places. But 
after leaving school at 16 with zero qualifications, like none at all, I wouldn't have gotten any. And the reason I wouldn't have gotten any is because I was dyslexic and they didn't have dyslexic in the 70s and the 80s. They just thought you were a bit thick. I went into the army and luckily the army is more patient. It's a better system for teaching you how to be successful, I guess. And so, you know, they've got you there. You have to follow their rules. And I was quite good. I was a, a boxing champion in the army. I got a stripe and, you know, and I, I did all right for five years. I was in there and that was, I guess that was where you get your education and your confidence. Um, and then, you know, as you do when you, you know, like I, I wanted to get out of the army as soon as I got in it, but I knew that I needed it. It was like medicine for me. I came out of the army and I read a book and, you know, it's, for me, it's like there's a book that changes your life. If anybody that's gone from ranks to riches, there's normally a book that changes your life. And mine was written by a guy who created an insurance business called the Aon Corporation. I don't know if you've heard of the Aon Corporation. Yeah. A Aon. So that was written. Very that, famous. Yeah. yeah big. That, that, that was created by William Clement Stone. And so Clement Stone wrote a book called The Success System That Never Fails. And it was about sales. And I, and I, I remember sitting in, at the time I, I worked in a boot factory when I first came out of the army, an airwear boot factory called Dr. Martins. They make the airwear boots that... Oh, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, people will probably remember. In the 70s, when I was growing up, the skinheads used to wear these airwear boots, these Dr. Martins. Now everybody wears them. Anyway, I sat in the box between the boxes and I read 65 pages the first day, sat amongst these boxes, while this lad called Andy sat there and he reminds me to this day, he said, do you remember you read that book? And I read The Success System That Never Fails. And that book changed my life because that was like... He, William Clement Stone lived till he was 100 and I think that's a good watermark for all of us if we lived till 100 he had 17 kids but he became a billionaire and he said there was three things that you need to be successful inspiration to action you actually have to get off your ass and do something be inspired activity knowledge so you know about the activity and then know-how that's the the know what's working know it's not working and you know how to talk to somebody how to frame how to negotiate how to do those things so I guess that was my, my, my start of the beginning of me. So 1990, October 1990, working with Clement Stone and learning about the skills, the communication skills, the influencing skills, the Socratic questions. That was, that was the beginning of the quest for young David after having had, which we all get sometimes, a tough start in life. You know, we all get a tough time in life. Mine was at the start. And, and luckily after then, I'll put that behind me. That's really, you know, an inspirational just a amazing, amazing story. And what you went on to achieve is just incredible, David. So uh, yeah, I, I have a, a, a question about that. So do you think your drive came from that tough start? Or do you think that it is just something that you were born with? And that, you know, it's just inherent, it's just in your nature? You know, that this is a really good question. It's a really good question. And it's a really good question for two reasons, right? So I remember thinking that because of my upbringing, that made me really determined because one of my characteristics, I'm really determined. But I remember like, I was a financial advisor um, and I was stressed because I just started a business and I started getting stress pains down my arm. Um, this was like I don't know, 25 years ago. And I went to see the doctor and they said, we refer you to a counsellor. And this lovely young lady, I said to her, you know, like, you know, I'm really determined because. And what she said to me was she reframed me. She said, no, you could have been just as successful and had a brilliant upbringing as well. And it, and it wasn't and it didn't have anything to do with the fact that you had a tough upbringing. You could have had that and also done it. Tons of people have. So 
if you asked me to put my life on it, I wouldn't go either way. I, did. I don't know for sure. Um, but we, we guess, we think, well, maybe it's because of, you know, that tough, the, the dark period that you go searching for the light. But the therapist at the time, she said to me, no, 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 you could have had a really good time and had really real success. She said, so don't put it down to that because you're just reframing, which, which is interesting. So my answer is, I don't know. Um, but, but if you had to, if you said to me, my heart, my heart's, what do I think it is? I think, yeah, probably it is. Because when you're going through hell, you keep going and then all of a sudden it makes you more resilient. Yeah, 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 that's right. And also when you're in the army, obviously the army is all about discipline. It's about leadership, personal leadership. They teach those skills, don't they, in the army? Everybody knows that the military, they prize those qualities quite highly. Do you think that also shaped you and and actually had an impact on your future success? I think the army is brilliant for everybody because ultimately in the army there's a way of doing things and they call them standard operational procedures. One of the mm. things that fascinates me about life, if, if I like, like look back, well, I'm 54 years old now, I'm not a kid anymore, but it's, it's like when you look at sales, people go through bits of little titchy bits of sales training, right? And they don't have a system for it in terms of pitching, framing, negotiating influence. The army have a system for every single thing that you do, how you, you know, make your bed, how you get up in the morning, how you dress, everything has to be immaculate. And it's, and they just have a way, way of doing it. And I think that way of doing it in the army, that set me up for life. So for me, it was a great experience. However, it was like medicine. At the time, I didn't like it, but I needed it. And it made me a better person, especially having had a real tough upbringing as, you know, as, a, as a little kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really, really interesting. I mean, personally, and obviously this is, you know, we've, we've spoken before this and we, you know, got to know each other a bit and so on. And, you know, it's just interesting when you hear people's history, because I can see all those different threads kind of coming together. So uh, that's very, very, you know, interesting for me just to hear your, your take on it. Yeah. So, so David, what I wanted to get onto now is this amazing achievement in a way that you had in terms of you know, becoming certified by Robert Cialdini, who I have to say is one of my heroes, because I personally love his his book and all the principles in it, you know, influence the psychology of persuasion and so on. I mean, it's a huge book in the sales kind of training arena, isn't it? So tell me, how did you come across him and how did you end up actually getting certified to teach those incredible skills of persuasion and persuasion, which we're going to get get onto. So, from from my perspective, I didn't learn influence until later on. I, I didn't learn about it until I don't know. Like, like I'd, already, I'd already had tons of success, like as a financial advisor. And if you look at influence itself, um, it's a little bit of a lot of things, right? So, like for example, the principle of consistency and commitment doesn't really exist that's socrates and socratic questioning oh. right so, so socrates is principle of consistency and commitment so that's not even a real thing although it's i mean it says it's a real thing but it's socrates so let me explain to you socrates right as a philosopher that's been around for two and a half thousand years and what he said was if i ask a question or a series of questions to which somebody will readily agree and then i ask a concluding question based on those agreements i'll receive a desirable response so it's about asking questions that get you the right answers. 
So that's what consistency and commitment is all about. If somebody says they're going to do something and then you ask a question about it, will you do it? They're, you're asking them to be consistent. So the foundation of consistency and commitment and the practical application of consistency and commitment is Socratic questioning, right? And that's what I learned from Clement Stone back in whatever, 1990. And so when I was reading uh, and understanding influence, I thought, well, that's, that's not consistency, that's Socrates. And Socrates is not only the principle, but it's the practical application of it. When you look at contrast, the principle of contrast for influence, that's from, from neurolinguistic programming, it's just pre-framing anyway. So you've got all these lovely terms. But for, so from my perspective, what I thought was when I sold my business in 2017, I thought, wouldn't it be great to, get, to create a university where kids could go and get a degree in sales? Mm-hmm where anybody could go and get a degree in sales. And, then, and you look at some of the degrees that people come out with now and you say, I've got a degree in, you know, what, whatever it is, wood carving, or, you know, that often some of the things are pointless. But what we want is people that can come into our business. They can be really pragmatic, create sales, generate as revenue and help us become more successful. So I wanted to do that. And I thought putting influence at the start of that so you understand cognitive biases, mm. like, we want to say yes to people that we like. We, we trust the experts and we, we take these shortcuts all of the time. I thought, OK, consistency isn't that. That isn't that. But overall, what, what Cialdini's done with persuasion and persuasion is really powerful. It's ever so easy to teach to people. And it's also guarantees to move the needle in terms of you can't not be more successful with it than without it. So I went and did a course with him in Arizona um, spent some money, went across the pond. And at the time I'd started te- teaching personal trainers some of his stuff and influence. And uh, I was offered the opportunity to work with Bob and to work with a guy called Greg Nider, who are two of the top social psychologists in the world, and for them to teach me how to teach influence. And it was a real pleasure. It was, you know, it was, it was fantastic. It was great. It was a great experience, you know, to spend time with the guy that helped Obama get elected, you know, which, which was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, as I said, he's an absolute legend. So yeah, I can only imagine that that must have been a most amazing experience. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you is about the difference between persuasion and persuasion, because he's written books on both. Personally, I don't know the difference. In fact, I haven't. Re- I've got persuasion downstairs, and I have to confess that I've never read it. Yes. I've read. Yes, I know. And and I've been told that it is even better than uh, his original book. So perhaps you could just explain for our viewers and listeners what the difference is. So, so probably the best way for me to explain it to you is to explain what happened, then reverse engineer it. Okay. So, so, per, so for the, for the, for the persuasion is about influence cognitive biases. So the best way for me to explain that is if I, if, let's say I'm having a party, Right? And I'll invite everybody to a party and I invite you to my party, Jane, is the party at the Thompson's house. Come along, bring anybody you like. We're going to have a great party and you come along to my party. Right? Then next time you're having a party, you feel like you should invite me to your party. And that's mm-hmm. the reciprocity. We want to say yes to people that we like. Yeah. Right? So, so we, we, set, we, we want to pay back our debts. Often salespeople don't recognize that when you're trying to help, when you meet somebody for the first time, if you want to build a, a, a relationship with them, what you should do is work out how to do them a favor because then they owe you a favor. 
So that's that's what reciprocity is. The principle of liking is about people want to say yes to people they like. You know, if somebody comes and they help you and they cooperate with you and they say nice things about you, you like them more rather than if they slag you off, they're saying horrible things about you. So we like, <laughs> we, like, we like people that like us and we like people that are like us. You know, if somebody comes along, they've got a similar birthday or they've got a friend that you've got a friend, you've got something in common, we want to say yes. So you have these things that are called cognitive biases. And these cognitive biases make us more likely to say yes and we're more influenced by them, right? If, yeah. If the principles come up. And there's seven influence principles, reciprocity, liking, social proof or consensus, authority, yeah. consistency and commitment and um, scarcity. And then finally, the principle of unity, right? So they're the influence principles. Cialdini had somebody knock on his door and they were trying to raise money for a local charity. And he gave more money to this person that was trying to raise money from the local charity than he'd ever given to anybody else that had done come canvassing, knocking on his door. Mm. Right? They didn't use any of his influence principles. Mm. So what did they do? Question two, what did they do? How could they um, get him to, to part with more money without using any of his influence principles? What could they do? I have no idea. They brought a little child along with them and they were trying oh. They brought a little girl along with them, a little six-year-old girl, and they said, we're trying to raise money for the local Girl Guides Brigade. And, they, and, and Cialdini seen this little girl there. They said, would you be so kind? And, he, and, and what they did was they targeted his mindset so they were more susceptible to it. You know when you want to get somebody just in the right mood? So yeah. persuasion is about getting somebody exactly at the right time in the right mood. Oh. So when interesting. So when he so when so, so often you ask yourself, you think, how can we get somebody exactly in the right mood? How and oh so, my god! Yes, I, I, I'm going to be reading this tonight. I'm now all really excited. This is deep. Yeah. It, so it's so it's powerful, right? And, and 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 it's really powerful. So before you try and use any of the influence principles, think what's the optimal starting point? What's the perfect mood you want to get somebody into? And if you oh. think about that, you think right, okay, is it you want somebody to feel like they owe you? Is it somebody to think like they don't want to lose something? And you can do that. You could, it could be the meeting, it could be the location, it could be the language you use, it could be the person you bring with you. And so you want to target the right mindset. And so it's really, really powerful. So as well as looking at all the influence principles, there are things you can do. You can do things ahead of time. So let me give you an example of that. Yeah. Online on a website, there was a thing selling sofas where you go and buy a sofa. And what they did was they put pebbles in the background on some visitors and they put fluffy clouds on the background on other visitors. When there was pebbles in the background, right? The, so when there was fluffy clouds in the background, they went and found the most comfortable sofas. So when they put pennies in the background, it wasn't pebbles, pennies in the background. What happened was they found that they bought the cheapest sofas. So all of a sudden the sales of cheap sofas went through the roof because it was because there was pennies in the background. People wanted to sell pennies. When they put fluffy clouds in the background, the sale of comfy sofas in the background, the sale of comfy sofas went through the roof. So oh, interesting. So if you're going to meet somebody and you want it to be in a certain way, you want to target the mood, the mindset, get them exactly in the right mood. And we know this. We know you want to get somebody in the right mood. You say, look, don't talk to mum right now. She's not in a good mood. Wait till later when dad's home or whatever. You wait because you want to get them in the right mood. So that's what persuasion is, targeting that mindset. And then you can use triggers to do it. Well, that's really funny because I was just thinking as you were saying that, personally, if somebody makes me laugh, 
And yeah. I, I am far more likely to fall in love with them very quickly. I've noticed that, you know, from the past. It's like I'm such a soft touch, you know, if you really have me falling around on the floor, you know, big belly laugh, I like automatically it's like the mist come down and, I, and I'm in love. <laughs> I, I so, let, me, let me tell you my most interesting story on this that, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. There was this supermarket in America where they were giving out these drinks vouchers Right. And the, the people had to give their email address to give the vouchers out. So, that, so you'd walk in, Jane, they'd say to you, um, can we give you vouchers for these drinks? What you need to do is give us your email address and we'll email them to you. And about a third of the people said, yes, we can. But then what they did, they did something really cool. Right. That made the drinks vouchers go up to 76.5 percent in terms of the amount of people that said yes to them. What? Right? So when so when the person walked into the supermarket, they said, um, that you'd walk in and they'd say, excuse me, can I just ask you a quick question? Do you consider yourself an adventurous person, a person that likes to try new things? And they're targeting that adventurous mindset. And so what do you do? You start doing a search and you think, yeah, I am, right? And almost everybody said they're adventurous, everybody, because that you're searching for times when you're adventurous when they were doing that, right? And then they said, well, okay, if you're adventurous, would you give us your email address? Because we want to send you this thing for these really cool new drinks. And they're like, yeah, okay. And they got a 76.5% take up from 33%. Why? Because they used a few words to make you persuaded towards being adventurous. Then they asked you for it. Oh, my God. You know, this is absolutely game changing. I mean, we're having an incredible conversation here. I am going to use this. I definitely am. I love it. I love it. You know, that's just amazing, you know, with those few words those trigger words, really, that are just the emotion, you know, they link to emotion, aren't they? That's really amazing. Gosh. So so tell me, how have you used those, The let's just say, the art of persuasion in your own career? David, give me an example. I'll give you a brilliant example, right? So when I sold my company, right, uh, you, you have an earn out, right? And I had an earn yeah, yeah. I used to pick up a million quid, but they were giving me the runaround and it wasn't going to happen. Right. And I was getting paid £150,000 a year. And this is a true story, hand on heart. I was getting yeah. paid £150,000 a year. And as soon as I got my few million, I was like, I'm out of here. I've had enough of this now. Yeah. So, but I thought, I wonder if I could try persuasion. And I was, the earnout was over three years. I thought, I wonder if I could try persuasion to get them to give me £450,000. Four hundred and fifty grand. I wonder if I could get them to pay me my salary in the next three years. I wonder if I could get them to give me all of it up front and I leave. Oh, and, oh. And, <laughs> right. So, and, and so it literally, this is just an idea, right? So I thought, what would I need to do in order to do that? What would I need to do? And I thought, what would they need to think, right? What mood do I need to target? And I thought the, the mood I'd need to target would be remorse, regret, and we've let you down, right? I thought if I could get somebody thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, we got it wrong, we've let David down. And then I thought, okay, what are the triggers for that? So I said to the guy that brought the business, you promised me we'd build the technology, and we haven't built the technology. You told me I'd enjoy it, and it was obvious I wasn't enjoying it because I just put a load of HR bods in place, right? And you also told me we'd work together, and his, his, his wife had been ill. And so, <laughs> so anyway, I said, and I said, my people are asking me, David, how are you getting on this? And if I tell all of my people, Right. What I'm truly feeling and thinking right now, I'll tell you now, you'll have bought dust. They'll, they'll disappear like nothing. I said, so here's what I propose. Why don't you just pay me for the next three years like you've agreed to pay me and I'll just chip and leave you to it. Right. 
as opposed to me being here. Alternatively, I can stay and I'll just take your money forever and I'll tell everybody what the score is. And I said, because you promised me we'd do the tech and we haven't done it. You promised me that we would, I'd be enjoying it, we haven't done it. And you said we'd work together. All of a sudden, he went, okay. So they offered me, they said, we'll give you two years. And I said, and I thought, deal or no deal. And I thought, I'd like to gamble. So I said, no. And I've got three years, I've got 450,000. Oh my God, really? Oh. Like, that, that, oh. It was targeting the mindset. What mindset did I need to get them into to think about it? And what were the triggers that were going to initiate that mindset? Yeah. You know, I mean, some people would say, well, that's highly manipulative. I mean, look, I've been through a sale and an earnout myself. So, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I was exactly the same as you having been through the sale. I did not want to do that earnout because, of course, what happens is is they they set these impossible targets. You know, you've really pushed the boat out to get the sale. You know that you're, you're not going to hit those targets anyway. Then yeah. all of these uh, new people are coming into the business and they, they think they can boss you around and change what you do. And, and it just becomes like hell. So I totally understand. I've been through it myself. But and I managed to kind of engineer an exit, too, after about a year. So I think, you know, for people that say, well, you know, they put their money into your business and they bought it and you, you know, you profited from that. And really, you should you should this and you should that. Well, you know, they they aren't living it day to day. And the thing is, as long as you are basically telling the truth, which I'm sure you were, Absolutely. then, you know, you sometimes, you know, life is you have to tell a certain story in a certain way for people to accept it, don't you? So well, that's what it too. is. Well, I think I was saying, so one of the things that I learned about influence was, is what you're saying true, right? So if you're going to use any kind of influence, is what I'm saying. What I was saying was true. They did promise me I'd work together. They did promise me I'd get the earn out. They did say I'll guarantee to get your earn out, right? Yes. They did promise me we'd do the technology. Right. So is it natural? So I wasn't bringing anything wasn't natural. And is it wise? Could I say it over and over again? If I stood in front of a judge, court of law, say, is what I'm saying true? Is it natural? Is it wise? So what I was saying was true. People were asking me. So all I yeah. did, I brought them to the top of their consciousness. And that's what yes. you do influence. You bring it to people's consciousness. And then all of a sudden it was worthwhile for me to do so. And I could have stayed there and taken the money and yeah. never enjoyed it. And so I wasn't saying anything that wasn't true. I wasn't saying anything was natural and it was obviously wise. And then I got paid for three years, which was happy days. Well, that's really, that is really genuine. So is powerful. So if you want to learn it, read the book and it, it, it's powerful. Ideally, you need somebody to coach you through it because it, there's, there's, it, there's grafting getting your head around it. But obviously I was coached by Bob and, you know, that made a difference. Oh, yes, I'm sure it did. Absolutely. So so tell us about your platform, David. So where did where did that the inspiration for that come from? And, you know, also, you know, how could people engage with it if they wanted to? So what happened was when I sold my business, I was on a, I was going on a snowboarding trip to the Alps and sat next to me was a lady called Maureen Sumner Smith. She's an amazing lady. And she was the COO of the British Standards Institute. And uh, so I sat next to her on this plane and the universe synchronizes for you to be in the right place at the right time to meet the right people. So, so Maureen's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. It's on my business. So I've just agreed to start working with Geraldini. And anyway, she said to me, you should be my sales director. And I ended up going in and doing some consultancy for 18 months. And it's funny when you walk into you know, a great big business like the British Standards Institute, you know, you go in there and you expect things to be a certain way. Like 
everybody's trained properly, even the recruiters and whatever, and they just weren't. So I was able to go into that great big business, great big corporate business, that, you know, and go all over the world. So I started off in the UK, and then I worked with people in Dubai, and we had massive success. They increased their sales to 400 people by 40%, which was amazing. Mm. Um, I was teaching them, this is what your mindset needs to be. This is a positive mental attitude. And it was the stuff that I'd learned from Clement Stone. And then over the years, I've worked with Bandler and Grindler on neurolinguistic programming. So this is how language works. This is negotiation. So I worked with those guys. And when I was working with them, I'd got a platform, but it was a rudimentary, basic platform. And um, people were like, well, wouldn't it be good if I made everybody, I've always made people teach back what they've learned. So if I teach you something, Jane, the way I know that you've got it is if you can teach it back to me. Okay. So I, so, so I built that into a platform. And, and then I thought we're teaching persuasion and influence. We should call it Sweda. So what happens is the simple thing. You see one, you see somebody else doing it. Then you teach somebody else back. So, so, then somebody else will teach you how to do it back. And then you do one. So see one, do one, teach one. So you'll learn something like an influence principle. You watch all the videos, do the flashcards and quizzes. But then you have to teach it back. And when you teach it back, it goes into a, a social media news feed that everybody else can see. And so there's a little bit of peer pressure on you because you don't want to put crap mm. in there. Uh, but then what happens is that's sortable and those teach back videos become reusable knowledge objects. And so mm. that, that's, what we've, that's, what we've, that's what we've done. That's what we've created. That's my daughter just waving to me there. She's come back from London. So that's what we've created. We've created a platform whereby somebody can see something and then they do it themselves and they teach it back and then other people get to learn from it. And there's nothing else like it in the world. And for salespeople, it's a game changer because you get to see what everybody else is learning. And then obviously we have every single element within sales, pitching, framing, negotiating, opening, closing, influence, NLP, all of those things. So it matters. That sounds absolutely brilliant. So if, if somebody wants to wants to get on the platform, how do they do it? So um, the easiest thing, just drop me an email, david at suada.com, S-U-A-D-A.com, and then I'll do you a demo. And if you like it, if you've got, here's the guarantee for anybody. If you've got salespeople, if you're a salesperson, if you learn this stuff, you cannot not be more successful. You know, like when I left the army, it wasn't the education there that made the difference. And when I was a financial advisor, it wasn't that I was the best financial advisor. I knew about influence and persuasion. So, you know, I've taken that training. We've put it into a platform. And currently, we, you know, we train some, some massive, massive companies. And if your people learn it and you want to go into 24 and have the best year ever, learn from Suede. You know, we've got an amazing system and some great yeah. That's really amazing. And I mean, obviously, I'm I'm a marketer more than a salesperson. Having said that, you have to, if you don't understand sales psychology, you're not going to be a good marketer. You aren't, no. you know, because you have to understand the order in which people, you know, build trust and make decisions and prioritize you over others. You do. So the two are inextricably linked. And a lot of people say, well, you know, sales and marketing, they're very different disciplines, but I actually would disagree. I would say, you know, marketing is really the practical application of sales and they are one and the same because they all basically lead towards a purchase, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. And I mean, what you've got, if we looked at it from an influence perspective, when somebody comes to you, if you're marketing, there's three influence principles that come straight away. Mm -hmm. The first one, the first one is the principle of authority. People will look at you and go, yeah. are you an expert? 
The next thing is social proof. They'll say, have you helped other people like me? And you go, yeah, I've helped loads. And the last thing is scarcity. Do I lose anything if I don't listen to you? And you think, wow, this person's an expert. They've helped loads of people like me. And if I don't listen to them, I'm going to lose something. So that's the first three influence principles that come out immediately when you start talking to somebody. You know, I've got to talk to Jane. She's mega at this. She's helped loads of people. And if I don't listen to her, I'm going to miss out on something. They're the three cognitive biases that come top of any conversation, whether it's a conversation in marketing or a conversation in sales. It's just that strong. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that's that's so fantastic. I wanted to also ask you about NLP because David, you know, you train with the top people in the world, haven't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, you so you mentioned Richard Bandler. I mean, he's an absolute legend, isn't he? Yeah, I, so, it's, it's amazing. I love NLP. Yeah. Okay. So 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 you must have so much incredible world class knowledge and wisdom locked up in that in that brain of yours and obviously it that you've poured into the platform as well but tell us if i was to say okay what are your top 3 nlp secrets when it comes to sales what would you say so w one of the biggest things with sales is with nlp i mean nlp perhaps is the daddy of them all if you wanted to look at you know what's the big bit the big rock that moves it you know i was the top financial advisor in the country when i learned about nlp i doubled my sales that tells me that told me everything mm. the big reason nlp is so powerful is it's, you understand how language works so if somebody says to you yeah i'm happy with that that's what's called a nominalization in its surface structure language and so what we need to do is we need to dig into that. We need to know from the surface what they really mean. So somebody says, yeah, you know, do you want to do this podcast? You say, yeah, yeah I'm happy with that. You say, I'm happy. And they say, yeah, well, I'm happy because I'm going out to the, th to the thing in the, in the morning. I'm coming back at four o'clock. So fourth day, I'll be good to go. And I can't wait to see you. You need to know there's some more digging. Too many times when we get answers, we don't know how to go from the surface structure to the true representation, i.e. understanding what somebody means under the covers. So we need to know what somebody means. And so NLP will teach us how to do that by by, 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 utilize, by knocking out nominalizations. I'm happy I've got peace of mind. This is pretty good. We need to know exactly what somebody means when they start talking to us. NLP does that. So that's one thing. Mm. Um, another thing that's really good with NLP is um, – there's a thing called future pacing, right? Future pacing, and, and I call it with piggy, right, piggy. And piggy is like the pig, but double G-Y. So you, let's say, tell, let me say, let's say I was selling a car, and I don't sell cars, I don't know anything about cars, but let's say you said you wanted to buy a car and you wanted to buy an electric car, right? And I know the electric car that you're gonna buy was a Nissan Leaf, something my son's just bought, right? And you say, I'm gonna buy this electric car, and it's going to do 165 miles, and I never go any further than that. And that's the thing I want to, I want to buy. Right now, I could I could say you don't want to buy with them, and I could start telling you you're wrong. But what I can do is I can future pace you. I can know what's wrong with that car. And I can future pace you. Say, Jane. So you know you're saying this electric car you're going to buy, right? Um, it, you know it's going to do 165 miles. Let's imagine, right, that you want, you've got to go on a trip that's 150 miles away, right? And you start driving there, and after 32 miles, it says you've got three miles left in your car. Is that going to cause you a problem? In the, this is the winter, the heart of winter. It says you've only got three miles left in your car. Does that cause you a problem? There's the first P, problem. Does that cause you a problem? 
Oh, well, well, yes, okay, because so what, because that's you, that's what's going on in the back of my mind anyway, isn't it, right? Totally. So you, it's saying you've only got 35 miles in the winter. My son's just had this car. So what are the implications of that? You've, got, you've only got 35 miles. You've not even got a third of the way there. And that's, what are the implications from your perspective? Yeah, well, you know, you'll get you'll get stuck. You you out in the freezing cold. <laughs> well, you've got, you've got to find a charging station immediately, right? Yes. So so, so do, do you give anything up? Well, yeah, you're gonna have to give up some time. How are you gonna feel if you're in a car that did 165 in the summer and it's only 35 in the winter? Yeah, well, you're not gonna feel very good about it, are you? Because that's, yeah. And is that something you want to avoid? So that's piggy. So you can piggy people, and that's called future pacing with piggy. <sighs> So you're not telling them they're wrong. You say, look, I'm not saying to you don't go on to that podcast, don't that. But if this happens, does that cause you a problem? What are the implications? Do you give anything up? How are you going to feel if that happens? Is that something you want to avoid? So from an NLP perspective, from a sales perspective, that's immensely powerful. And it's powerful against the competition because you put them through a scenario where they can pitch themselves in something. They go, well, I don't want to do that. So then it becomes not that frame. I don't want to do that. Got it. Yeah, that is just so interesting. And the last the last thing from, from, from influence would probably be the power of framing. So pre-framing, reframing, deframing, changing somebody's perspective using the power of frame. So too many times we when we use language, we say, look, I know we're not the best or, you know, there is other alternatives. But what we need to know is how do we pre-frame somebody and target the mindset we want to get them into? So if you're looking for the best podcast in the world to meet the coolest people anywhere on the planet, then, you know, we're the best place for you. And you can also tip into the play. You can tip into the principle of authority. So I'll go into something from influence. So there's there's a principle of authority from influence, where, which says that if you want somebody to trust you, you can do something and get them to trust you immediately. But you need to do something that's counterintuitive. Do you know what that is? No. You well, I mean, I I understand what counterintuitive means. Uh, no, but you know what I mean by when I say you can do something counterintuitive to get somebody to trust you instantly. No, I don't know what that thing is. Okay, so typically, if we're trying to persuade somebody we're an expert, you say, "On this, I've got this many followers. I've got, you know, I've been doing this for ten years. I've helped all these people." And you, people can think, "Yeah, but I don't know. You don't know what you're saying is true, right?" And you say. So what you can do is you can do something that's counterintuitive. And the counterintuitive, you say, look, I'd like to tell you I'm Seth Rogen. I've got the number one podcast in the world. But I haven't. You know, In fact, I've only got number two, number three, number four. However, if you do all the podcasts in the world and you looked at 95%, right, at the, at what are they not doing it, I'm in the top 5% in the world. So I'm not in the Seth Rogen world, but we are in the top 5% in the world. And so you admit a weakness and then you pivot on the word but. And the minute you do that, you become instantly trustworthy. And you're saying, you know, and over the years we've done this, 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 this. The minute you mention a weakness, everybody trusts you. And so you're pre-framing your audience with mentioning that weakness. Uh, do you know what? I also think that that is why when I, you know, I was talking about I love people that make me laugh, right? Yeah. When people have self-deprecating humor, yes. that is, that is, that is just unbelievably powerful is we love people who are self-deprecating but they can laugh at themselves they're not just kind of doing themselves down because it shows supreme self-confidence doesn't it 
Yeah, totally. So when you start out with that and say, look, I'd love to tell you I'm perfect. I'm not. I've screwed up tons and tons of times. In fact, you know, I'd love to tell you this is the best in the world. It's not. However, if you look at it from this perspective to do this, this, and this, then you, you'll struggle. If you search from now to the end of time, you won't find anything better. They go, hmm, I like that because you're not pretending to be perfect. And we want things that are imperfect. We don't want things mm. to be perfect. Oh, that that is just, it's so powerful. When I think about all, you know, the most compelling characters, you know, in, in uh, you know, drama, literature, TV, film, you know, Maximus in Gladiator, yeah. obviously Hamlet, you know, Tony, Tony Soprano, you know, people, people, guys like that, we love them so much because they have this duality, right? And that, because we all know that humans are not just perfect or awful that all of us have all of these traits within us so i can understand why that makes us feel safe because we just feel what well, they are being authentic you know that is that is the truth of them so i love that i think that is so great who's your favorite character that that, that almost is fallible but lovable who's your favorite well, I've got a very, very big weakness for Maximus. That's Russell Crowe in Gladiator. That's one of my favourite movies of all time. How about you? So I, I love Jack Nicholson. I do. He, yes, yes. He's so charming and so charismatic. And you know underneath it all is terrible. One of my, one of my friends, uh, a guy I play golf with called Paddy, he was, um, he was in LA and uh, he seen Jack sitting down in a booth and he said, Jack, is that really you? And he said, he grabbed me by the collar and he went, God damn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> this big smile and he tilted his head with his, like, and you know that, you know, he's got the devil in him. But, you know, that that's, to me, he's my favourite fallible character. But you know they're not pretending to be perfect. So if you're a salesperson and you've got competition where you're going up against, you say, I, I used to say, look, I'd love to tell you, you know, when I was a mortgage advisor, I was a top mortgage advisor in the country, I'd say, I'd love to tell you I'm, a, I'm the best financial advisor in the country. I can help you with your pensions, your investments and all those things to say, but I'm rubbish at all of that. I'm rubbish at pensions. I don't know anything on investments. However, if you want mortgages, which all the people did, by the way, I can tell you everything and anything you want about mortgages. I go, but I'm rubbish at the other stuff. And they go, David, I don't want any of that. I just want my mortgage sorting out. Thanks very much. <laughs> but you admit your weakness and then you pivot on the word, but, but if you want this thing, we're really good at that. So Avis did it with rental cars. They said, look, we're not number two. In rent we're not number one in rental cars. We're number two, but we try harder. So they admit the weakness. They're not the best, but they try harder to give you better customer service. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's there so not pretending to be perfect is lovely with people with businesses with marketing and sales and it's yeah. the of authority i now trust you as an expert instantly and that we try harder is an absolute classic strap line isn't it it mm -hmm. really is so yeah well i mean look david this has been such an amazing conversation i have really enjoyed it it's been kind of Barkley, you know, from start to finish. So thank you so much for joining us on the Smart Connector podcast. Now, I know that we mentioned uh, a way of people getting in touch with you sort of halfway through, but let's go yeah. there again. If people want to reach out to you, find out more about Sway, you know, chat to you about any, any of the things that we've talked about here, what is the best way for them to do that? So the best way is to go to the website if you want to get to the website and you can book something through the website. Alternatively, the easiest thing to do, just drop me an email. It's david at suada, S-U-A-D-A dot com. And suada is the goddess of persuasion. So 
you know that's what i like to think we want to make people like gods like goddesses like they're you know they're just amazing and so that's the that's the big idea behind suede persuasion um, and influence is what makes you money so obviously we want to make sure that you're richer happier more successful and you have more fun with it there you go that's wonderful well thank you so much again david and uh, yeah look forward to keeping in touch Jane Baylor is the Smart Connector, a London-based, passionate serial entrepreneur, brand marketer and business growth exploder who helps overlooked and undervalued consultants and sector experts generate consistent, scalable revenues through becoming the go-to choice of their dream clients. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate you liking, rating and reviewing the podcast on the platform you've heard it on. And check out the links in the show notes if you'd like to connect with Jane or any of her guests in person. Thank you for listening and come back soon.